Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. My name is Rob Dump. I'm the pastor here at Northminster. It's wonderful to see you all this morning, and thank you for the choir for that song um, that they had arranged like four weeks ago, and then I went and changed the topic of the sermon. So we were uh, in the Gospel of Luke and studying the sermon of Jesus in, in uh, Luke chapter 6, and Jesus' statement that we're to love one another, love even our enemies, and, and we decided last week that we needed to take a turn and going to look more deeply at Jesus' statement that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, and, and to give without expecting anything in return. So I want to welcome all those of you who were not here last week who missed the sermon on giving, um, because it's not a problem, I'm doing it again this week. Uh, what, what we looked at was Jesus' statement, it's more, you know, uh, um, to give without expecting anything in return. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so last week we began to discuss it, and I apologize to all those of you who were here for the very first time, because uh, uh, the idea, of course, when you come to church is that all they, that's all they do is talk about giving and money and everything else, and here's the first time in three and a half years I preached a sermon on giving, and we have some new visitors, and they're probably not back this week, but that's okay. Um, but if this is your first week here, again, I'm going to apologize to you as well, because we're going we're gonna to finish the message. If you were here last week, you might notice that we didn't get all the material in, and, and, and I think there's some more things to be said. So we're going to focus one more time on, on the topic of giving. And let me give you a, a, a tragic statement. The percentage of Christians who give today stands significantly below the rate during the Great Depression. The percentage of Christians who give today stands significantly below the rate during the Great Depression. Here's a trick question, and I'm telling you it's a trick question, so be prepared for the answers because it's a trick question. Which of the Gospels does Jesus say it's more blessed to give than it is to receive? The answer is it's in the book of Acts. Paul quotes Jesus in the book of Acts. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so last week I kind of apologized. I said, look, because I've been, you know, cautious about preaching on giving and talking about giving, you know, that topic that that everybody always thinks that's all you churches ever do is you you want our money. In all reality, because I've been overly cautious about preaching on it, I've been depriving you of an opportunity to to be blessed. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So we want to talk about that. What does it mean? What does it look like uh, um, this morning? So... Before we uh, go any further, we're going to open up with a word of prayer now this morning. Um, And uh, it's with um, heavy hearts that we uh, inform some of you who haven't heard at this point in time. But uh, uh, Pastor Bill Eckhart, who preached here for, I think, 30 years, uh, passed away this week. So if you haven't heard that word, uh, um, uh, we don't know a lot of details about that and about what happened. But we're going to lift up Bonnie uh, and his family there as well. One of the parts of the message from last week that we didn't get to, that we're going to conclude with this week, is the fact that giving extends well beyond money. Um, one of the things that we have to realize, of course, is that we've been blessed in so many ways. On the, on the third Sunday of every month, we try to focus our prayer time on the, on the world and the situations that are going on around us. And one of the things that we um, need to grapple with is the fact that we've been blessed We've been blessed financially, but we've been blessed with freedoms, we've been blessed with liberties, we've been blessed with a lot of power, Um, and the fact is that we've got a world around us that's crumbling. Um, 
a world around us that's, that's just not looking good, and it seems that it's getting worse in so many ways. I saw last night um, 250,000 Syrians are fleeing their homes. This is a war that's been going on for eight, nine years. I mean, there are kids that are eight years old that have never seen anything except war. That's all they've ever known. And I, I can't really even fathom a quarter of a million people leaving their homes. That, that's a massive number. At the end of an eight-year war, and now they've gotten to the point where they're leaving their homes. There's 110 or so more girls in Nigeria that were kidnapped two weeks ago. Christian girls kidnapped by terrorists. And that doesn't even account for the fact that there's still about 200 other girls that were taken three years ago that have still not been returned home to their families. So we talk about giving, and the reality is, is God's blessed us with resources, and, and we should be giving of those resources for the sake of the, those who have need. The, uh, you know, the, the way you've blessed Karuna Carr and, and his educational opportunities, the way you've blessed you know, uh, those going on missionary journeys, you know, being able to go out and bless the world. But we also have the ability to pray. Uh, we have the ability to advocate. We have the ability to speak up. We live in one of the most powerful countries the world's ever known. And here we are in that country, and we need to advocate for those who are struggling and those who are needy and those who are in care. So as we go this morning to our time of prayer, let's pray for the world, but let's also pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our very beings to know what we're supposed to do beyond prayer. The second Corinthians, it's not stated correctly in your bulletin, but second Corinthians chapter nine, we're going to go back to where we were last week uh, and kind of pick up from where we were. Uh, let me review a little bit um, as well. Let me make a couple notes here at the beginning before we proceed any further. And that's number one, we're not asking for your money. As we talk about giving this morning, I don't care where you give. I know our elders do, but I, I don't. I care that you're faithful. I care that you're disciples of Jesus Christ doing as he's called you to do. And giving is one of those things he's called you to, get, to do. Um, I mentioned last week, and I'll repeat again this morning, our financial records are available for anyone here who wants to find out what we have and what we don't have and where we spend our money, and we'll have information uh, at the dinner tonight about that. Uh, uh, secondly, we have policies and procedures that are in place to make sure that we're fiscally responsible. Um, I personally do not know who gives or how much anyone gives, and I don't want to know who gives or how much anyone gives. And if you tell me, I'll just assume that you're lying. So you can't, you can't even tell me, all right? And if you say, I don't give, I'll probably believe you. But if you say, I do give, I won't believe you. Um, uh, I don't want to know. I don't need to know. It's not important. Uh, and as I mentioned last week as well, my salary and Courtney's salary is voted upon by our congregation every year. So my salary is public record. You can know how much I make. Uh, I'm there, and uh, we want you to know there um, uh, as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, is the one text in the New Testament that primarily talks about giving in the New Testament. So we want to wrap our heads around that. Let me review a little bit for those of you that were with us last week. Bring us all up to speed. We kind of went over the outline about the first six points. Um, so we'll pick up uh, from there in just a moment. But let's, let's go backwards a little bit to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, and we'll begin in verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, Paul says. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 9. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can give, be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Verse 13, because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession on the, of, of the gospel of Christ and for the generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will, be, will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Second Corinthians was written by Paul somewhere around the year 53 or so A.D., 55 or so A.D., on Paul's third missionary journey. The city of Corinth is located right here uh, in the southern part of modern-day Greece on a little narrow strip of land. Uh, Paul was probably over in Ephesus, over here in modern-day Turkey, uh, over in Ephesus, when he wrote this particular letter. On Paul's second missionary journey, and Paul is the, uh, the, the, kind of the, the, the one who's converted, who takes the, the, the Christian message of Jesus to the Roman world. And Paul was traveling to the Roman world on his second missionary journey. He had traveled from uh, 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 north over here, around uh, um, Philippi, Thessalonica, and down to Corinth, where he stayed in Corinth for about a year and a half had fruitful, abundant ministry in the city of Corinth. And now, a couple years later, he's over in Ephesus, getting ready to revisit the church in Corinth. But there were problems in the church in Corinth, like major problems in the church in Corinth. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 11, your meetings do more harm than good. Like those kind of problems. You know, when you get together for church, it's actually more destructive to God's kingdom than it is when you don't get together. That's a bad thing, in case you're not aware. All right. So uh, the problems, of course, included the fact that there were divisions within the church and in the congregation, and some were denying that Paul was even a, le a legitimate apostle. We don't need to listen to this apostle Paul because he's not one of, the, one of the original ones. You know, Jesus had his followers and uh, the hundreds and the thousands that were following him at various times, but Jesus had his 12 disciples. That this inner core group of 12, amongst them, we call them the apostles. Paul's not one of them. Paul comes into the scene a few years later when he's converted on a road to Damascus and Jesus calls Paul. But he's not, he's not like Peter. He's not like James and John. He, he, he's not good enough. So Paul is defending to the church in Corinth that he is a legitimate apostle. By the time he writes 2 Corinthians now, he, find, he gets word that the first letter that he had written, what we call 1 Corinthians and other letters as well, was received well by the church in Corinth, and this is like a sigh of relief for Paul. So he's encouraged a little bit, at least when he writes 2 Corinthians. And now when he writes 2 Corinthians, it's relief and, 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 and thanksgiving that, that they received what he had to say earlier, and that they received it well. But also, Paul is planning to travel from Ephesus north uh, uh, up to Macedonia, and then down back into Corinth, and then he's going to travel on to, to Jerusalem. And as he travels to those cities, he's taking an offering, a collection, for the church in Jerusalem. 
The church in Jerusalem has been heavily persecuted since pretty much since the beginning, since they kind of crucified Jesus. They haven't you know, gotten along any better with the early Christians. But there was also a severe famine a few years earlier that afflicted uh, northern Egypt all the way up into Syria and, and Palestine and that whole area. And because the Christian church was already oppressed, already outcast, and already poor, the famine greatly afflicted them. So when Paul says, you know, the brothers are going to receive this offering, it's the church in Jerusalem that he's talking about. So let's go run through very briefly here some of the points that we made last week and then pick ourselves up where we were. Number one, Paul says uh, this. He says, number one, he says, you will reap what you sow. One of the principles of giving in the, in the New Testament is you will reap what you sow. All right? It's a very simple pr uh, uh, principle. Whoever uh, sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Pretty easy, pretty obvious. Number two, Paul says, you should give only what you've decided in your heart to give. Chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this is one of those statements that we take, I think, a little bit out of context, because sometimes when we talk about giving, one of the things that we do is we, we kind of hold to a theology that makes me a little bit more comfortable than I probably should be. Right? Yeah, blessed are the poor and woe are the rich. And we kind of, we, we, we dealt with that a few weeks ago. And we kind of simplify that a little bit and, and, and kind of dumb it down so that I can be content a little bit more so with my prosperity. So also when it comes to giving, one of the things we say is, well, the New Testament never says you have to give 10% like the Old Testament says, which is true. In fact, in the New Testament, the basic principle is you should only give what you can give in your heart uh, uh, cheerfully and not under compulsion. But what I think we need to hear about when we look at this passage is this is Paul's advice to the church in Corinth because of the tenuous relationship Paul has with them. Paul is, doesn't want to compel them to give to the church in Jerusalem because they already don't like him. They're already questioning his authority as an apostle. So Paul's like, look, I'm going to lay this principle down. And this principle is give what you decide in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right, third, the principle is this, that God will bless the giver abundantly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 again says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound uh, in every good work. Okay, now let me add four more things here just to kind of summarize what Paul says in this text, and then we'll bring it to ourselves today. Number one, um, the very principle is that God will supply and increase your store of seed. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Uh, As it is written, they have freely scattered gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. It appears that by giving, then, the principle is God will give you more. God will bless the giver even more. And let's clarify that some more as we proceed. Number two, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on all occasions. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The richest that we receive by giving is so that we can give even more. Not so that we can be blessed. Okay, I'll, I'll give because I'm going to get out of this. No, no. We give in order to bless. And then God says, wow, if you can be faithful with that, I'm going to give you more. 
And then we give out of that. Oh, if you can be faithful with that, I'm going to give you more. And then we can be faithful with that, I'll give you even more. All right, thirdly, uh, Paul says, Men will praise God because of your obedience in giving. Verse 13, 2 Corinthians 9. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Uh, and, and again, this is likely in, in the context of this text, it's the church in, in Jerusalem and in Judea that's been severely afflicted. Of course they're going to praise God for what they... They're starving! Certainly they're going to praise God uh, because of your gifts. And then fourthly, they're even going to pray to God for you. Verses 14 and 15, Paul says, In their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So our gifts actually come with prayers on our behalf as a result of it. All right, now I listed, I think, 11 items on, on, on applying this to ourselves today. The first one, uh, and, and the first six I think we went over last week, but let me repeat them here for our sakes. Number one, the God in whose likeness we are made is a generous God. The God in whose likeness we are made is a generous God. A couple weeks ago, I preached. we were talking about uh, um, uh, loving your neighbors and loving your enemies and loving one another. Uh, and, the, and the point of the message was, um, you'll be called sons of the Most High. If you do these things, you'll be sons of the Most High. You'll be just like your Father. And if our God is a generous God, in order to be just like our Father, then we too should be a generous people. Malachi 3, verse 10, I didn't read this last week, but here it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that, be no, that there will not be room enough to store it. The God in whose likeness we are made is a generous God. Number two, uh, giving is based on the model of what God has done for us. Right? 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. Right? There's a, a, a hymn that we sing at times. You know, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Right? Number three, the key question that we need to address here is where's our hearts? Where, where's our hearts? Okay? You see, sometimes we come in and we, we, we go, well, you know, um, uh, some of you who, who give regularly go, I, I preach the sermon, Pastor, because I, everybody else needs to chip in also. Right? And sometimes we want to hear the message like, well, it doesn't say I have to give that much, right? So I can kind of give, so that we can kind of be content wherever we're at. And the reality is the real answer to the question is, where's our hearts? Where, where's our heart? Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I mentioned last week, I said, you know, you, you can discern my spirituality, not by my incredible speaking ability, which we talked about that last week, right? Okay. Um, but by my American Express bill. You can discern my spirituality by where I spend my time. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our money? What are we doing with our time, our talents, and, and our treasure? There's the best indication of our hearts. Number four, the fundamental question that most Christians ask today is, are we obligated to give 10%? Uh, and the reality is this. The word uh, tithe comes from the, uh, the, the word that basically means a tenth. And the practice derives from the Old Testament in, in Genesis 14 where Abraham gave a tithe 
uh, of all that he had gotten from a, from a, a victorious war uh, to a man named Melchizedek. And there's your principle. It's a, it's a tithe. In the Old Testament, the Israelites tithe a tenth of all that they got. Not actually everything, but most of what they got. Because the Levites were supposed to be the priests and, and to bless all the people in all the nations. And they weren't going to have regular income. And, and so everybody else ties in order to support them and they can do the religious duties and, and be the mediators between God and the people. And this is going to keep the nation flowing. But in the New Testament, it never says we're obligated to give a tenth. The only text that really clearly talks about teaching is here in 2 Corinthians 9. Don't give out of obligation. Give cheerfully. There's your biblical principles. But, but then I said, let's stop for a second. Let's think about this. What does Jesus do with the law? Well, he comes and says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Then he turns around and he says, you heard that it was said you shall not murder. But I say to you that if you have hatred in your heart, you've murdered already. You heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you lust with your eyes, you've committed adultery already. You see, Jesus takes the law and he says, I'm fulfilling it. And then he actually intensifies it for the life of the believer. No longer is it okay just to not murder somebody. You can't even have hatred in your heart. The core of your very being is what I care about, says the Lord God Almighty. I'm not worried about the external appearances of the law. I'm worried about your heart. So when we turn around and go, well, what is Jesus going to do with the law? He actually makes it more intense. And if we take that principle then, here's the thing, and that's this. Maybe 10% is only a starting point and not the end point. If intensifying the law is what Jesus does because he cares for our hearts, then maybe 10% is actually not the end. And in all reality, but I mentioned this last week, I had never really thought about that idea until a number of weeks ago as I was preparing for this sermon. And I've been teaching New Testament for many, many years, by the way. And I, and I, and I realized, wait a minute. Jesus takes the law and he makes it more intense for the believer. He never softens it. He makes it more intense. Now, of course, by the way, he makes it more intense because he's going to give us his spirit and change our hearts. And it's because of the power of Christ that we can fulfill the law now, not by our own flesh. So if we're trying to do this by our flesh, 10% yeah, is going to be really hard. But if we surrender our hearts and we let Christ transform our hearts, maybe 10% is only the place where we start. Number five, New Testament giving uh, is sacrificial. New Testament giving is sacrificial. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Sacrificial giving is what the New Testament calls us to. <clears throat> that might mean 10% is not enough for some of us. That might mean 10% is the place to start for some Sacrificial giving might be 1%. Number six, giving financially doesn't mean that we are done. And I mentioned this last week, but let me repeat. And that's this. If your son or daughter were to come to you and tell you how they've budgeted wisely and how they've given all their money, 10% to the church, and that they're doing all this nonprofit work and everything else, then you find out that they don't have any time for their kids or that they're abusing their spouse or that they're showing disdain for their employers, you probably aren't going to be excited about the fact that they're giving because their heart's not right. Their behavior's not right. Their conduct's not right. We're, 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 I'm, I'm glad you're giving. But if your heart's not good, uh, 
You know, Jesus himself says, if you go to the altar, at, go to the altar to offer your, your sacrifices to God and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave. First go be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offerings. God wants our hearts to be right before him. Number seven then. This is what we left off last week. Let's pick it up. What keeps us from giving? What keeps us from giving? And, and there's a number of factors, and I want to address uh, those who cannot afford to give. And, and I will be explicit. If you cannot afford to give, you probably shouldn't be giving. But the number one thing I think that keeps us from giving is fear. We're afraid. Uh, we're afraid that we're going to run out of resources or that God's going to run out of resources, which is kind of ironic because if we're not... Uh, 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 the God we apparently are singing to is a God who has the entire heavens at His disposal. But we're afraid that if we give, that we're going to run out. And that we won't be provided for. You know, it's called the, uh, the fear of missing out. Or the fear of not enough. And yet we see the heavens, the highest heavens are God's. Number eight, let's ask the question, what if I don't give? And let me answer it this way. This is a really tough question. It might be that you're new to the faith. Or you're not even really sure you're even a Christian yet. And you know what the answer is? Don't give. No one, that, that's not, no, 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 no. The, I think the first thing that, that you need to do is, is, is learn who this Jesus guy really is. And, and decide in your heart if you're going to follow him after all or not. So just, if you're just new, just learn about Jesus and continue following and learning about Jesus and beginning to trust in him. And as you are in that process of learning and growing, then begin maybe to learn the practice of giving. And learn that, that you can trust in him. And remember the principle, God loves a cheerful giver. And then watch to see if God begins to bless you. Maybe not financially bless you. Maybe he'll bless you in other ways. And then as you grow, you can begin to give more and more and more. But maybe it's you cannot afford to give because you can't afford to give. Uh, I personally am convinced that the story of the widow who gives the two small copper coins. Some of you know the story. There's a, a widow, she has four copper coins. Those four coins in today's dollars are not equal to a penny. She has less than a penny in her hands. She cannot buy a slice of bread, let alone a loaf of bread. And she gives two of her four small copper coins. And what I think oftentimes when, it's, when that passage is taught or preached on, we, we go, oh, Jesus is applauding this woman and her faithfulness. I don't believe that Jesus is applauding the woman and her faithfulness. Not to say he, he, he's upset with her. That's not the context. First off, by the way, she's not giving 10%. She's giving 50%. So this is not a tithe that's going on. I believe the context of that passage, especially in Mark 12, is Jesus condemning the religious leaders for abusing this woman who can't even afford to buy a loaf of bread and you're making her give an offering? I think that's the context. Now, sure, she's being applauded because she's being faithful, but in the context is the, the religious leaders who are making her give, she can't even afford to eat. And you're making her give. No, she shouldn't be giving. Now, maybe it's you can't afford to give because you simply financially haven't taken care of your resources very well. 
you haven't been a good steward. You, you've gotten in the debt. You bought things you shouldn't have bought. And, you, and, and you've lived lavishly. And, and you just, here's my income. I'm going to live right here. And then I get a raise and I live right here. And, I live, and, and, and we simply have no room. You know, I, I hear the pastor saying I should give and I make good money, but I don't have any money to give. Well, let me give you some thoughts. Number one, sell something. Sell some of the things that you have. I mentioned last week, sometimes we have so much stuff that we, put, we, we actually rent a storage facility to store them. Sell the stuff in the storage facility if you can. And then take the money that you pay in the monthly rent for the storage facility and give it to a nonprofit. Or you can go about trying to reduce your debt. And starting to live within your means. Establish a budget and live within your means. And start making it a goal to pay off your bills and pay off your debt. And as you do, and you free up some income, then decide, I'm going to give. Because God's helped me getting out of debt. And I'm going to start to learn the practice of giving. Jesus himself said, and here's, I think, a very significant verse that we need to pay attention to. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Cut some of your expenses. Give to the Lord and continue to get yourself out of debt so that you can learn to give more and more and more. Let me clarify that verse, by the way. The Greek doesn't say money. The Greek says mammon. Uh, and mammon means more than just money. Uh, uh, mammon is the system of wealth and all of its acquisitions. Uh, uh, mammon is, is the things that are idolatrous to us. Uh, it, not just financially, but, but things, power, pleasure, etc., and all that beyond it. Maybe another way to say it is, uh, is you cannot serve the kingdom of God and the kingdom of gold. It, it's one or the other. We want to say, by the way, because uh, we want to spiritualize these things so often, we, we want to say that you can't serve God and Satan. But Scripture says you can't serve God and stuff. Satan, of course, is the Lord of the stuff. But we can't serve God and stuff. Number nine, generous giving extends well beyond money. Well beyond. If you can't afford to give at all, great. You have time. You have talent. You have resources. You serve. And by the way, just because you're giving money doesn't mean you can't serve also. Giving extends well beyond our money. If you think about it, by the way, if giving didn't extend well beyond our money, then Jesus is basically saying, only the rich can re receive this blessing. And I really, the Jesus I read in the scriptures doesn't have a blessing available only to the rich. It applies to everybody. We can give our time, our talents, and, and our resources. In fact, oftentimes, by the way, those who are in need need something long, far, far more than just simply money. They might need a hug. They might need a friend. They might need a counselor. Feeding the hungry is great, but often they need more than food. Number 10, love should be the lead actor and money the supporting actor. Love should be the lead actor and money the supporting actor. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. 1 John chapter 3 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Number 11. 
living generously like Jesus can change the world. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, loving like Jesus can change the world. So can living generously can change the world. We know this, by the way, because it's happened. The Christian church changed Rome. The Roman Empire was radically changed because of the church. When Rome discarded babies because they were the wrong gender, the church took those babies in. When Rome discarded babies because they weren't wanted or because they had deformities, the church started orphanages and took those children in. When Rome wouldn't care, for, would care only for those who could afford a doctor, the church started hospitals. When Rome would educate only those who could afford an education, the church started colleges and schools to train everybody. Leper colonies were started by the church. The first hundred schools in America were started by the church. The church has had more relief organizations, more food pantries, more help, more finance, more colleges and seminaries. You name it, the church has done more than all other religious groups in the history of the world combined. It's the church that can change the world. And as much as the church today is getting a bad reputation for some, maybe rightly so, by the way, we might want to think about that. As much as we're getting a bad reputation, when there's a need for a hurricane relief in, 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 uh, in Houston, it's the church. More than any other organizations, it's the church that runs to the aid. When there's an earthquake in Mexico, it's the church that runs to the aid. The church can change the world. And the irony of it, or the amazing part of it is, is that that is the way that God works. God is a God who wants to change the world. And He says, yeah, but I'm doing it through you. I'm doing it through you. So as we talked about earlier, this, earlier when we were talking about in our, in our prayer time, there's so many needs around the world. Peace, comfort, financial needs, justice needs. There's war and strife everywhere we look. And then we stop and look at ourselves and think, we are so blessed. And then we read scripture and we realize, we are so blessed so that we can be a blessing. As I said at the beginning, I'm not asking for your money. God's not even asking for your money. God's asking for you. For your time, your talents, and your treasures. I care, as your pastor, that we understand the fact that we cannot serve two masters. That's what I care about. It's my job to teach you that we cannot serve two masters. To warn you that we can't serve two masters. And to love you so that we know that we cannot serve two masters. Now, someone commented to me last week after service that, um, okay, it's all great, you know, uh, um, but the reality is, uh, someone commented, you know, and I'll I'll change the metaphor a little bit, uh, that if you eat dinner at at Outback, you don't pay your bill to Olive Garden. (laughs) Fair enough. If this church is blessing you, and this is where you serve, then help. We have no other streams of revenue. This is it. This, this, is how we, this is how we keep our lights on. That's fine. Let me give a couple thoughts quickly here on how we go about doing this. Number one, surrender our hearts to, God, to Christ daily. Surrender our hearts to Christ daily. Before you decide about to give or how much to give or anything else, just stop and surrender your heart to Christ. 1 Timothy, we read last week in the service, I'll read it again this morning, says this, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, 
who richly provides with us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Number two, make a plan to give more generously. Whether it's your time, your talents, or your treasures, or time, talents, and treasures. Go home and make a budget. Start tracking your spending for one month. Where am I spending my money? What, what, where can I cut? Where can I save? Where am I, where am I being frivolous? Start budgeting your time and see where you're spending your time and where you have more opportunities to serve or to learn or to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. This will show us what our priorities are and where our heart really is. And then, when you're done with that, pray. Pray. And seek the Lord. What has He called you to give? Maybe it's 1%. Maybe it's 2%. If you already give 10%, then maybe God's asking you to give more. Same thing with your time. Maybe it's 30 minutes a week extra that you're going to spend in prayer or studying your scriptures or whatever. Maybe it's one less TV show or one less YouTube video or one less whatever it might be. Spend more time with your family, more time with your serving, more time before the Lord. And then see if God doesn't bless you in response. Not that we're giving to get a blessing because the blessing that we're given is simply so that we can bless even more. If we give just so that we get, then our heart's not right to begin with, and we have to go back to step number one, surrender our hearts before Christ daily. If it helps, by the way, you can set up an automatic withdrawal from your checking account to give to nonprofits, our church and others as well, to, to give. And then automatically you're, you're giving. And, and, and if you're missing that worship opportunity, by the way, because you, I, I, wanna, I, don't, I, I forget or, or, I'm, or, or I, need, I, I need to make, just put it in my budget and just make it happen, then set up as an automatic debit and then take, a blank envelope, take an empty envelope and put it in the offering plate. There's your act of worship. There's your reminder. I've given. I've given already. I've given online. Not, by the way, so everybody else can see. Hey, see? No. Jesus himself says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But as an act of worship, give. And then pray. Lord, this is the least I could give back to you in light of what you've given to me. Pray, Lord, multiply my seed that I might be able to give more. And I mentioned last week that if you're listening online, and we've got a number of people listening online, some of them are giving. And if, if you're being blessed through this, then I hope that you find a local church community. But if this is where you're getting blessed right now, then help serve to keep this congregation going and moving forward. Finally, third, th third point. <laughs> Finally, you're like, amen to that. <laughs> Give until it hurts. Give until it hurts. My wife told the story a few weeks ago when we were talking about this at, um, at the Grove. It's a story of the chicken and the pig. One day the chicken decided that the two should start a restaurant. The pig was intrigued by the idea and says, that's a great idea. I'm an entrepreneurial type of guy and I'm sick of working for that farmer. Um, but what are we going to call the restaurant? The chicken thinks and uh, scratches its head and pecks at the dirt and suggests, how about ham and eggs? And the pig says, no thanks. I'd be committed, but you'd only be involved. When it comes to giving, and let me reiterate this point again, I want to make sure I stress this this week as well, and that is this. A person who makes $20,000 a year 
uh, in our economy that has two kids probably shouldn't be giving anything and might even be needing to be a recipient of the giving, whether it's a, a Morningstar box once a month on the third Saturday of the month or whatever it may be. But a person who makes $200,000 a year might need to be giving more than 10%. As I said earlier, we titled the message a couple weeks ago, you're just like your father. And wouldn't it be great if at our funeral the words that they had to say was, he or she was just like the father. Let's close. Lord Jesus, we give because you have given to us. And Lord, we're going to be careful right now in asking for you to bless our giving because we're also warned in Scripture that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And if we take anything away from the last number of weeks that we've talked about blessed are the poor and woe to the rich and, and giving and, and being blessed, we realize the fact that actually it's a dangerous thing to be seeking wealth and to be seeking Jesus too. But Lord, if you've given to us so that we can help the Christians that are struggling in Nigeria or the Christians on the other side of our own town that are impoverished or maybe even in our own community that are struggling, then maybe we can give so that they can be blessed and help us to do so. Help us, Lord, to learn to give cheerfully because apparently you cheerfully in whatever way that might mean went to the cross for us and laid down your life that we might have life. And so all we have is yours. And we thank you for that. We thank you for what you've given to us, Lord. And help us now to see that the resources that you've given to us, time, talents, and treasures, are given to us so that we might be a blessing to the nations. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, again we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.